And for hundreds of years, there were just scattered, minute, small groups who continued to practice. All down through history, there were some small groups. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details on these. But there were some small groups that continued to practice. And from about 1000 A.D., the Catholic Church took the position that speaking in tongues was a sign of demon possession. And it was held that the other tongues of the Bible were simply the gift of languages, whereby one received divine help to learn the tongue of another people. Many of the pre-Reformation reforming parties that separated from the Catholic Church were Pentecostal in practice to a greater or lesser degree. There was a group named the Paulicians. These existed upwards of seven centuries prior to the Reformation. And these believed in speaking in other tongues, the laying on of hands and signs and wonders. And they believed that they were the vehicles of the Holy Spirit. In fact, one group of them believed that you had to be filled with the Holy Spirit before you could even be a member of their church. And there were those among the Protestant reformers as early as 1517 that believed in tongues and spoke in tongues. And they mentioned it. And under Louis the Fourteenth, who from 1685, sought to bring all of France under Roman Catholicism. There was a group that were known as the Commissards, and they were fiercely persecuted. As adult Christians were destroyed, in other words, as the parents were killed off, banished, or forced to recant, the movement became a spiritually demonstrative Protestant sect among the youths and even the children. And it is recorded that in their meetings that it was so great among the kids and the youth that it was referred to as an epidemic. And in the period of 1688 to 1701, at least 8,000 followers were proclaimed as Pentecostal prophets. And records tell of meetings with groups of children, some as young as three years old, where startling prophecies were given to reveal the hearts of spectators or to proclaim profound facts and insights. Speakers sometimes remained in ecstatic trances for hours, constantly uttering prophetic messages, both in the vernacular and in classic and foreign languages. By and large, the commissars were destroyed by their persecutors. Many of them, though, fled to England and they became recruits for George Fox and the Quakers. The commissars was marred by excesses and doctrinal impurity at times, but they were a people who believed in the moving of the Holy Spirit and they held tenaciously to it in spite of persecution. In the 17th century, a branch of the Dutch Baptists known as the Collegians or the Ryansburgers reacted against what they took to be excessive clerical leadership and they developed a ministry of prophetic openings whereby they encouraged individuals to manifest what appear to be Pentecostal-like ministry. As persecuted heretics were driven abroad, they contributed to the Quakers, to the Seekers, and to the Ranters. The, the Quakers began about 1650 and they were committed to Pentecostalism. The Quakers were. And this is substantiated by the name which describes their response within their meetings to spiritual demonstrations. Where do you think they got the name Quaker? A century later, beginning in 1739, the Methodists also enjoyed Pentecostal experience, although they did not make Pentecostalism an essential tenet of the faith. It is commonly noted that at least until the 1780s, miraculous spiritual manifestations were common to Methodist meetings. A typical testimony is that of Thomas Walsh, a well-known Methodist preacher in 1750. He wrote, This morning the Lord gave me a language that I know not of, raising me soul to Him in a wonderful manner. Founder John Wesley wrote, The Holy Ghost enables men to speak in tongues, prophesy, 
and manifest other spiritual gifts. In the 19th century, a distinctively Pentecostal denomination known as the Catholic Apostolic Church emerged. Its founder was Edward Irving. He was expelled from the Scots Presbyterian Church because of his Pentecostal practices. And his congregation um, in London, built in, in Regent Square, uh, proceeded to provide him with his own church building and loyally to follow him in developing a new denomination. And in a short time, there were churches, branch churches, all over England and Europe and the United States. Irving Hill, that the standing sign of baptism in the Spirit was speaking in other tongues, and he stressed Pentecostalism in general, together with faith and belief in divine healing. In the 19th century in North America, there were scattered outpourings. Beginning in 1824, a branch of the Seventh-day Adventist, known as the Gift Adventist, flourished in New England, and they encouraged the profession and practice of Pentecostal phenomena. Many Orthodox Christian leaders, such as Charles G. Finney, reported in 1825, I received a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. Dwight L. Moody wrote movingly of a remarkable answer to prayer, and he said that God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and it was reliably reported that at least on one occasion when Moody was preaching, he began to speak in other tongues. The latter part of the decade of the 19th century, the circle of spirit-baptized believers began to grow. R.A. Torrey, A.B. Simpson, popularized the expression baptism in the Holy Spirit. The stage was set. 